Well, I hope that uh, <clears throat> your worship today was fresh on the heels of some of the things that we've been talking about. Um, just, man, just today, just reminding ourselves of the cross of Christ and the debt that he paid and, uh, you know, just some of the old hymns coming back, but that um, just the, the, the hymn that talked about, uh, you know, uh, that, that Christ has removed all of our sins and he's made us right before the Father. I mean, just, just celebrating that, but also seeing it from the eyes. I hope you're able to kind of put on, the, put on the, the glasses of the first church, early church, and the transition that happened for them. And hopefully we've all gained a, a new appreciation for the, the beautiful act of God, uh, the grace of God displayed, mercy of God displayed on the cross in removing our sins and opening up the, the gateway for us to go directly into God's presence and to uh, be able to commune with him and know that we have the Holy Spirit praying for us all the time to the Son who's at the right hand of the Father. And so everything's getting through and we're connected. And just, the, the again, the appreciation of that today, not because of anything that we've done at all, but the fact that in our striving we have actually gotten further away uh, from from the reality of the, the grace of God and, and experiencing that. Uh, but but how that, how that well, I don't know if for you, but today it just fuels my heart for God. Man, just uh, constantly, uh, I just feel a swelling uh, in an old dead heart that uh, has no emotion. Just kind of swelling towards God today and thinking about those thoughts. So we've, we've been talking about that. And really that's, uh, you know, if we, we, we talked about this in the book of Acts in our study that in the beginning... You know, they, they had a foundation there in the book of Acts of an encounter with God, their own personal encounter with God, uh, a foundation that was totally led by the Holy Spirit who was now at work in the world, had descended to the earth uh, in, in, uh, in the form in which he would possess believers uh, because Jesus ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit, he said, could come and do his work and live in us. So these Spirit-filled believers were uh, we're expressing this, uh, this appreciation for and responding to the power and the, the movement and leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, for the first time. So everything starts coming to life in the book of Acts because the Holy Spirit came. And, uh, and, they, and that was all fueled by a genuine commitment, personal commitment to Christ. The Holy Spirit brought in the crowd. The Holy Spirit filled the disciples with the message. The Holy Spirit drew the attention of the crowd um, by... Uh, this manifestation of himself in, in ways that, that caused them to be uh, uh, bewildered, the scripture says, to be filled with wonder and amazement. And they, and they started asking questions, and the disciples were there, then filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter was, to answer their questions and, and proclaim the gospel. And then they're, they're, uh, the Holy Spirit cuts them to the heart, and they, the Holy Spirit leads them and woos them to the point where they make a choice to repent, to be baptized, and to join this community of believers. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's how it began. So there's nothing new. I mean, we, we need to celebrate that, always celebrate that here. That if there's anything that we tend to do or try to do that's outside of that, the Holy Spirit's movement in this body, the Holy Spirit drawing people to this body, the Holy Spirit wooing people into a relationship with themselves to be ultimately a part of the community of God and then, then more uh, uh, specifically to be in koinonia or fellowship with this body, that we need to, to, to embrace that and continue to walk in that. So we've been looking at what that looks like for this, this uh, first 
body of believers, these 3,000 souls and 120 disciples uh, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and began to experience the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So we saw last week that when the believers at Pentecost made this point, talked about when, this, when these believers at Pentecost were filled and were responding to, in obedience to the Holy Spirit and surrendering themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, in specific ways, to the commitment to the apostles' teaching and to, to, uh, to fellowship, which included prayer and, uh, and the breaking of bread. Uh, they began to, to fellowship together. That what happened is they began to be filled with this deep sense of awe. And then we saw this beautiful cycle last week that was, that was going on, in this, in, and we'll, we'll continue to see it and trace it as we move through the book of Acts, that that sense of awe led them to, uh, uh, into this cycle of experiencing uh, God in a tremendous way, the Holy Spirit in a tremendous way, and seeing the work of the Holy Spirit and then it led them to a deeper sense of awe, which led them to more obedience to the Spirit, which led them to a deeper sense of awe and more obedience to the Spirit. And at any point, that process could be broken up, and certainly we're going to see uh, next week, not so much this week, but we're going to see where Satan comes in, as we warned at the beginning of our study and did a, you know, a month's worth of study on, on the work of Satan, uh, you know, and how he moves and works and tries to manipulate and and uh, defeated as he is, continues to have victories in our lives as we give them to him. Uh, how he's going to move all the way through the book of Acts, we're going to see that. And, and, uh, but, but in this case, you know, the, the disciples are moving with the Holy Spirit and they're, they're walking with the Holy Spirit and there's this cycle of awe and obedience and awe and obedience continues to happen. It's, just, it's a sweet thing and all of us have experienced it to some degree where we have an encounter with God that leads us to a sense of of respect, really, of awe in the sense of respect and fear and a desire to obey him. The, the, not fear in a negative sense, but fear in a respect sense, where we respect him and want to know more of his will. We respect his will and we desire his will, where before maybe we, had, we weren't so sure about the will of God. And, we, and, and this it begins to snowball. And I believe that God wants that for our community. He wants our community of believers, all of us who call ourselves gathering place people, that he would have us to snowball in this cycle of, of awe and obedience to the point that we, uh, we obey whether we feel like it or not because we know uh, we've had enough encounters with God in the past that it's going to end up in, in a, a more abundant life for ourselves and it's also going to end up in changing the lives of people around us. And so on and on it goes with the Holy Spirit. And last week's uh, study, particularly, we saw how this cycle rose up with this explosion, literally, of action and emotion and life change. Specifically, they had this, this, their profound respect, again, for the Holy Spirit and their surrender to the Holy Spirit's movement in their life led them to consider all of their belongings as common to everyone in the community. That the body of believers, this brand new body of believers who didn't have any experience with the Holy Spirit, were all of a sudden finding themselves willing to consider their belongings as everyone else's belongings. What's yours is mine, what's mine is yours. Even to the point of selling their possessions if need be in order to meet the needs of people in the community. And so this family of God, those 3,000 plus who had repented and been baptized and had had surrendered themselves to the Holy Spirit, were taking excellent care of one another. 
so that nobody in the church family was with, uh, had need. And as we spoke about family last week, we also saw that their expressions of benevolence would ultimately spread to include people outside of the community of believers. But that in this case, it was people in the community of faith that were being taken care of. And it would be there any, any benevolence that would be offered to people outside the community of faith would be done as the Holy Spirit would lead them to do that. And so we, we talked about it in life groups this week and fleshed that out, that, that the purpose of that is ultimately to accomplish this vision that God has for us to be a community that blesses. He, he wants us to be a community, first of all, a biblical community that lives life together in quantity of fellowship in such a way that it causes the, the light of God to shine out of this body. And that people would around us, in the world around us, that are not a part of the community of God, would see that and be drawn to that. And that's the reason why God has us living this way and, and would desire for us to follow the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's doing in the book of Acts. Now, I want to remind us again that God's placed our church here in this study for a very timely and purposeful, uh, for, for a very, pur- very strong purpose and, and for this time. That God has a purpose he wants to accomplish in this body right now in this study. It's not a random study. We're not just going, making our way through the Bible and came to the book of Acts and said, oh, that would be cool. God has us in this study for a very timely and significant purpose. He wants us to find out what it takes as we do this study to be a community that blesses. And the story in the book of Acts, these are the acts of the Holy Spirit within a community who is blessing the world around them. And so we're going to look at that and continue to to keep that focus as we move through this. This is for you, each one of us. You're here today because you need to get what we're going to talk about today, what the Holy Spirit has for us to learn about what it means to be a community that blesses. Now, before we move into the text this morning, I want to take just a moment to show us, or for us to look together at the evidence that we've, we've seen, but maybe we haven't seen it with this focus, uh, the evidence that the world was being blessed around this spirit-filled community that was simply walking in and, and uh, according to the Holy Spirit's direction in their life. As they surrender to the Holy Spirit's leadership, look at what happens. Okay, first of all, we've read this. Let's just review it with this in mind. What is the Holy Spirit doing through this community, in the surrounding world, what's going on? So first of all, in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41, it says, now when they heard this, they were, this is Peter's preaching, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, Evidence that the Holy Spirit is moving and working, first in the 120 disciples that were gathered in the, in the upper room and waiting on the Holy Spirit, and then in the lives of 3,000 plus people whose uh, who received and were blessed by, by the Holy Spirit working through Peter's message and through the, the, uh, 
demonstrative work of the Holy Spirit in causing their language, their, their message to be heard in their own languages. And so th- we see it being, we see the, the world around them being affected. Then also in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47, in response to last week's message and their, their com- commitment to community together, what's going on. It says, and day by day in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received f- their food with glad and generous hearts. This is community together, praising God and having favor with all people. That's moving outside of the community of believers. They had favor with all people. And then the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, in these two passages, we see this is big picture. We see salvation. We see people becoming believers. Uh, it's clear that there is a response in the body of believers. Uh, so we can see that, that, that there's going to be a response, but we don't see any specifics. We don't really see the specific stories of how each person is saved. Now, I mean, we, we know that people respond to Peter's preaching in the first, but how, are, how, are each, how is each person being impacted by the community as they're doing life together? And so today... We're going to look a little bit more at some details. Today's study is going to give us a little bit more insight into some specific things that were going on, and I think it's going to help us to prepare to be those people that touch the lives of people who are around us. Ultimately, guys, we've got to make contact with the world around us, right? It's not just about us living in community. And I think churches at some point sacrifice one for the other. We either get so focused on just doing our thing together that we never impact the world outside, or we get so focused on trying to do something to the world outside that we lose our connectedness and our corner of fellowship. And there was God's plan for that to happen. This is God's plan, that we would be so together in, in, in how we live life together and we do life together and how we follow the Holy Spirit in unity that the world around us would say there's something different about those people, and they would desire it. And, and as you guys know, I've said this before, but I, I, I want to applaud you before we even move forward, that you're already seen as that. Maybe not by the religious uh, folks in our town, but you're definitely seen as that by the people who are lost in our town. And all of my lost friends recognize the gathering place as people who don't judge, as people who love, as people who accept them, as people who would do life with them, would do things for them, I mean, I have, I have had no negative encounters with anybody who's lost in the community that said, man, what's the matter with your church? And I appreciate that. I think, the, again, the ground is set. The time is right. God has a purpose for us to move forward as a church uh, to begin to bless people in this community in more specific ways. So today's study is in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So let's spend a little time in this passage today and pull out of it four or five truths that we might be able to apply as we think about what, how do we move from community into, into uh, the world around us, from an inward community of believers to the outward community of uh, lost and wandering people? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from his birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called be- the beautiful gate, to ask alms of all of those entering 
uh, the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked uh, to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people that saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So let's just evaluate this story, okay? Y'all with me? Everybody, everybody alert this morning? Okay. First thing that happens is Peter and John are going to, to the temple. Now, we made this point before because we were talking about how they, uh, when we talked about their commitment to prayers or the prayers, that they continue to pray in the temple uh, at the appointed times. And I want to make this point today again because here is two people who are walking in community with one another, going to a place, maybe with other believers, but definitely we know there's two, who are going to a place where there are people who are not in community with them. And there's two different groups of people. We see this lame man who is going to to ask for alms. And then later on, next week, we'll talk about the Pharisees who were also there in the temple. Uh, but they're, they're, both of those were not in community. Okay? So there were people that, are, that were in the world that were not in community with them, and there were people in the church who were not in community with them. And so these are, these are, we're going to find two stories. One this week, we're going to talk about the lame man. Next week, we'll talk about the teachers of the law and religious rulers and how Jesus uh, or how Peter and John are led by the Holy Spirit to engage both. And the responses that they get from these people as they walk in community with each other in the presence of people out in the world, the lost and the wandering. You know, for us, we talk about the lost as being those in the world that have no idea about Christ. When we talk about the wandering, we talk about people who are in churches who have no idea about Christ, right? They're still there. So this is good for us as we look about this. So they're going to the temple to pray. And they're going to pray, as we talked about before, a community prayer. They're praying differently, right? They're going to pray uh, knowing that they have access to God, knowing that they have the Holy Spirit praying for them, knowing they have Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, communicating with him for them. So they're experiencing koinonia in the context of past religious traditions, number one, right? They're going there to do that. They're bringing spirit-filled community uh, to those that are inside the church, but they're also going to bring spirit-filled community as they walk and encounter people outside the church. So they're bringing spirit-filled community with them to people who were not yet in community with them. Now, at the gathering place, God's called us to remain connected, first of all, to churches who don't get it, who are still stuck in the bondage of legalism, and he has us there for a specific reason. I was sharing with a pastor friend of mine this week some of what that reason is. 
that we feel like God has called us to stay in community using the, the passage that as, we, as elders were praying about our connection, particularly with Southern Baptists, that our role in that or our connection would be uh, the same connection that Paul kept with the Jewish people. Even though Paul had this tremendous ministry to the Gentiles, I mean, he was finding, every, the Gentiles were receiving him completely. He found nothing but resistance from the Jews. And yet in chapter 10 of Romans, verse 1, he says that his prayer to God and heart's desire was that Israel would be saved. He still had a heart for those people that were, were stuck in the bondage of legalism like he was. He was the best, not only at walking in the bondage, but at bringing other people in. Paul was a leader going to persecute those who are following Jesus. He missed the whole point. And Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God was still that Israel would be saved. And God spoke that to our elders. He used that verse to tell us, to show us our hearts. And we were in the same place regarding that, that, that we, we would stay connected to the Southern Baptist Convention, hoping that God would allow us to continue to have connection and that at some time in the future that God would give us a voice in the context of our denomination to be able to speak uh, into the life of the denomination and into the lives of people who are out there who don't know yet the truth about God, even though they, they're in church. So at the gathering place, we have that connection. And we're going to look at the, again at the church leader's response next week and talk a little more about that. But let's remember that we are not to be in opposition of churches. Paul and uh, Peter and John are not in opposition to the people in the temple. They're going to the temple. And they are revealing truth through the sharing of the word about Jesus. They're going to the temple to do this. And so they're sharing the word and they're bringing the presence of koinonia with them into the temple. And, and change is going to happen as a result. Secondly, Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray and they were redirected by the Holy Spirit to this man who had been crippled, crippled since birth. And so the Holy Spirit, again, they're, they're going to the temple to do something that they always do, and yet they're redirected by the Holy Spirit to, to another ministry. And I just wanted to make, that, make this point for us today, that as we join the Holy Spirit, we become a community that blesses, there will be time when we need to realize, we're, we will realize that we're stuck in a routine of religious activity. And that our routine of religious activities, sometimes the Holy Spirit will break us out of that in order to, to have control of us. We are prone to be religious people in, this, in the Bible Belt. And so Peter and John are, are broken out of this. And we need to maintain uh, our practices that the Holy Spirit leads us to maintain. I'm not saying that. But always be open to the redirection of the Holy Spirit. A uh, uh, story I'll tell you about this. I was teaching an experience in God conference years ago, before I, 20, more than 20 years ago when I was working uh, for the convention. And I went to set up at this uh, state office where I'm, I'm teaching this conference to leaders on experiencing God. Now, experiencing God is basically, it's the abiding cycle. Okay, it's hearing the voice of God, doing what he says, and coming to know God by experience. All right? I believed it. I was excited to teach it. So I get there early, and I'm setting my stuff up, and all the people in the convention uh, facility, they leave, and I'm there, and there's a janitor there. 
And the janitor and I get in a conversation. I just say, hey, how are you doing? And he starts a conversation. And then it got to the point where uh, I knew I was feeling the Holy Spirit leading me to share the gospel and spend some time with this guy. But I had a conference to set up for. And so I, I, he, would, he kept the conversation going longer than I wanted. And I basically just shut him down at some point, you know, nicely. And then I went to my conference to set up my conference. So I'm setting up the conference. And I'm putting stuff out. Man, the Holy Spirit's all over me. Saying, are you serious? You're teaching a class about hearing God's voice and doing what he says. And I've been speaking to you this whole time about this guy. And, and you're, gonna, you're worried about this? And my, as I'm setting all my stuff out, I said, all right. I threw it all out. And, and then I left. And then I had to just, people were walking. I said, just the room's down the hall. And I started the conference about 15 minutes late. But that guy, I prayed to receive Christ. But I mean, we spent a long time there together. And nothing was set up the way I like it set up. I'm OCD about having things, everything in its place. Nothing's in its place. But that's, that is the will of God. The will of God is that we follow the Holy Spirit's leading. I, was, I had a religious thing to do and was de- devoted to that and had a way I wanted to have it done. And it was a way I felt comfortable. And the Holy Spirit was trying to show me something bigger. Of course, it gave me a great story to tell in the context of that conference, too, about what it means to experience God. So that's who we are. And Peter and John do that, and we need to be open to the redirection of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, also, Peter and John are following the Holy Spirit and focusing on people instead of religious activity, and that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus walks into the temple that time, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a man with a withered hand in the temple? And what were the Pharisees doing? They were watching to see what Jesus would do on the Sabbath. They were watching to see what he's going to do. You don't, you don't do work on the Sabbath. Healing is considered work by the religious folk. And so they're watching to see what Jesus would do. Jesus walks in with no hesitation. What does he do? He is following his Father's will. And the Father's will is that this man's hand be healed. And so he heals his hand. No questions asked. The Holy Spirit, or the Father, in his case, Holy Spirit and Father together, I guess, in him, I don't know, redirects him. And he does the Father's will. And so this is the Holy Spirit and Peter and John doing the same thing. It's more evidence to, to all those who are watching uh, that Jesus is in, the, in them in spirit form. And what the lame man was asking for as they came to it was alms. I want to make this point before we move on to the next point. The word alms signifies pity or uh, pr- that, that prompts giving money or some kind of relief. It's, it's showing pity to somebody, particularly to the poor. And in this case, it was for the poor. And for them, poor meant people that were not able to take care of themselves, people that had no other, op, uh, no other way. They were unable to provide for themselves. And so this is pity giving. And this is the kind of giving that the Pharisees focused on. I'll make a point later with that. But the Pharisees always focused on how they gave alms. You know, they, they did that publicly. But just to know, again, in the context of last week's message and this week, I just want to make this point before we move on. Here's a man outside the community of believers who is asking for money. Now, last week, I know a lot of you in your discussions in small groups uh, were, were dealing with this, this teaching that the Holy Spirit is giving us about uh, our responsibility being taken care of the body of believers. Okay, and how some, sometimes... Our, uh, we let the pressure from the outside 
make us feel like we're, we're responsible to, to go and feed all the homeless in town rather than taking care of the body of believers. Now, and, and so I want us to, to understand the difference here. This is pity giving. This is, this is giving alms, and it's also led by the Holy Spirit. And there are times when people gave, the, the, the Christians continued to give and take care of the poor and the homeless as the Holy Spirit led them to do it. It is not the same as the kind of giving that we talked about last week where they were taking all their things and selling it and giving to each other as they had need. That came out of koinonia fellowship with one another. That came out of a trusting relationship with the Holy Spirit living in you and living in me and us doing life together. And so we're going to see, and I want us to pay careful attention to what they do with this guy. We need to look at that and, and consider for us how the Holy Spirit leads Peter and John in this case and all the things that he leads them to do because that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at what, is it, what does it mean for us to be, uh, to, for this community to expand. We're looking at community expansion today. The community is fixing to grow as a result of what they do today. So take notice because this man is not in Koinonia with the church. So what Peter and John does to help him uh, is going to help us to know how to be a blessing to those outside the church. So, but point number two, let's make sure we make this point. Let's realize the significance of following the Holy Spirit, even if it means not following our religious routines. Okay, number three, Peter and John looked him in the eyes. Scripture says they looked him in the eyes. They didn't avoid eye contact. Now, I know how I am when there's somebody who's asking for alms. Uh, you know, when I pull up at a stop sign and there he is with his sign. Uh, I don't want to make eye contact. I change the radio. I look at my phone. You know, I talk to the person next to me. Now, I'm sure you're a better person than I am. But that's what I do. I, I feel the tendency to not make eye contact. So why would they make eye contact? And, and the, why does the Scripture tell us that? That they, they look him in the eyes. I think th- there's a very distinct reason for that. I think it's because, first of all, they both felt led by the Holy Spirit to pay attention to him. They both felt the same thing. They trusted that the Holy Spirit was going to control the situation. When we start learning how to live in in relationship and in surrender to the Holy Spirit, then we, we're not afraid to look people in the eyes because I'm not going to do anything the Holy Spirit leads me not to do, and, I'm not, uh, I'm, and I am going to do what the Holy Spirit leads me to do. If we're surrendered to Him, there's no fear in looking someone in the eyes. They may not approve of us, and there's so many times in my life, and I'm, I'm used to it, and I hope you are too, that the Holy Spirit leads me to do something that the people around me are looking at me and saying, you... you you're not right, right? There's something wrong in your brain. Or where do you get that from? Why do you act that way? We need to get used to that. Now, they didn't care. They knew that the Holy Spirit was leading them. There was no fear to engage this man because both of them felt the Holy Spirit leading them. And by the way, let me just reinforce that. You know, there's, there's times in Scripture that there seems to be a, 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 an extra something that God does when two pray together. And so here's Peter and John going to the house of prayer, but already walking in prayer, in 
praying without ceasing and constant communication with the Holy Spirit. Moment by moment, they're constantly communicating with asking, questioning, and they come to this. And here's two brothers in community that come to the same conclusion. I think that's interesting because there was a lot pulling them away from this guy, and yet they both look at him. But look at what look at what uh, Luke tells us in this in the way he reads it, or the way he writes this in, in verse four. It says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, "Look at us." He wanted us to know it wasn't just they. He wanted to say Peter and John did too. I think there's a, there's a subtle but hugely important. Uh, lesson for us out of that. We've learned to do this at the gathering place. It is all of us seeking the Holy Spirit together, and then He unites our minds and hearts together in what we do. And there's no question about whether we're doing the right thing. We're all on board together because we're waiting and we're asking. We're not in a hurry. We have no other agenda than to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, and He puts them together in what they do. So that's the result of them praying without ceasing, being Constant, moment-by-moment dialogue with the Spirit of God. And that was probably a new experience for John and Peter because they just received the Holy Spirit, and they're walking this thing out, and this is the first person that gets healed. And so this is a new experience for them as far as Scripture is concerned. So another way that we bless the watching world, I think, is to be united in our ceaseless prayer and careful attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings moment by moment, and we look people in the eyes. Now, I could go, I could preach a whole sermon on looking people in the eyes. And I was so moved by just that thought of, you know, do we care enough about people that the Holy Spirit could draw us to look people in the eyes, to actually give them our full attention? Are we so busy with life and with our agenda and what we're doing and even enjoying community that we don't, we quit looking people outside the community in the eyes. We could preach, I mean, that would make a great message. I, I hope I get to preach that one day. Because, boy, it really touched me this week to just think about that. But, listen, the beggar also looked at them with expectation. And I want to take a second to think about that. Because when we look people in the eyes, there's the expectation. When you start taking the time to look people outside the body, in their eyes, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, there's an expectation that, that comes. And we need to deal with that. Look at it in verse 5 and 6. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. I want to come back to something that I mentioned last week, now, again, uh, but maybe with a different twist. This man had expectation. Uh, he had, it, this expectation was, it was tied to their willingness to look at him and notice him and talk to him. Because this usually meant for him, what? Somebody's fixing to put something in my, in my cup. My cup's about to be filled up. Because they're not just passing and pulling something out of their pocket, checking to see what the loose change is. They're stopping and engaging me in conversation, and they're looking me in the eyes, and they're this is going to be a good, a good day, right? Cup's fixing to get filled. He had specific expectations. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons people never see the love of Jesus is because the culture has defined the actions for us that define love. 
I think the culture has defined that for us. They, the culture has defined what it means to express love to people for us. And, and, and those people that have a need for whatever we have to offer are crying out for something, but they know how to work us in order to get what they want. And, and, and here's what happens with us. We have fallen prey to that kind of thinking. When, there's a, when, when someone asks for something, we fall prey to the cultural expectations, and that person has learned to work those cultural expectations out of the church. And so when I'm down in New Orleans, I can't tell you how many uh, people uh, on the street are more than willing to all of a sudden be very open to the gospel. And I realized at one point that I led the same guy to Christ twice, and he got money from me both times. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with giving money to people as God leads, but that shows you something it, that was in me, is that I had this, this cultural expectation that, that as a pastor, I should take that opportunity to lead him to Christ. Well, he always had the cultural expectation that I should take the opportunity to let him and say whatever it is he wants me to say, and I'll get some money in my cup. And so it's so important. I hope you guys are getting this. It's so important that we follow the Holy Spirit's leading all the way through this process. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to lead us to do some things that are, that are going to rock the people that we're trying to help. <laughs> Mickey could tell you, when we, when we had the, our homeless ministry at the other location, and, and we had, you know, we were housing, we wanted to house people downstairs, but we learned by experience numerous times that people know how to work a system like that. Oh, a church that wants to take care of me, give me a place to live, feed me, you know, take me around places. Oh, yeah, I'm into that. And they know how to do it, and they say the right words, and they'll pray the prayers, and they'll get in a Bible study with you, all the things they got to do to maintain that. But then when we started really helping them as the Holy Spirit was leading us, you know, Mickey started praying and seeking the Lord and her team of people, godly women and men that got together and said, what, what is God leading us to do? And they carefully constructed this beautiful uh, manual of what the expectations were in order for us to provide healing instead of a handout. And, and came up with this beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit uh, put together for us. And from the time that that piece of that book that was put together to now, we've never had anybody want to be a part of what we're doing. Nobody wants it. You know why? They want the cultural expectation from us. They don't want what the Spirit has to offer them. But Peter and John were filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is about to do something to draw this man into community with them instead of just let him take advantage of them and continue to live his life in the miserable lifestyle that he had become accustomed to and expected would always be his lifestyle. We have that to offer people. But we need to be sure that we follow the Spirit's leadership as a community and see how his leadership will be countercultural, even counter-religious. It, it will go against what churches are all buying into and tell us that we're supposed to do. Peter and John had nothing to give here. But remember, the, the, the Pharisees bragged about the giving of alms. Okay? And I told you I'd come back to this. The, the Pharisees would brag about and boast about how they gave alms, how they took care of the, of the pity giving in town. But the Pharisees were 
the furthest removed from God. They were, they were making converts sons of hell, twice the sons of hell that they were, according to what Jesus said. Peter giving to the max, but they rejected the Holy Spirit. And I believe God has greater gifts than the culture requires. Greater gifts for us. But we need to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us to that. So Peter and John had no silver and gold to give. But what they had in the Spirit and in unity, they offered. This relationship that they had with God personally and this relationship that they had with community and other believers, they offered to him. They offered him healing and he received it. And it was better because now he could walk. Now he could work. Now he no longer fit the category of a person who begs for alms. He could now support himself. Now, Peter and John finished this assignment of the Holy Spirit by inviting this new believer into community with them. How do we know that? How do we know that now he was a part of, of the believers, of the community of believers? Look at what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 8. It says, And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He immediately found himself in community with Peter and John. Now it's no more two guys walking. It's three guys walking and praising God, and one of them leaping. They were in community together. And then down in verse 11, uh, it says also, and we'll talk about that again. We'll cover this next week. But we find them together outside the temple. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So they clung to him. And listen, church, our, a huge part of our job or our role as community is not only to let people experience the Holy Spirit through us, but to invite them into community with us. Every person that God puts before us that we have an opportunity to, to reveal him to, and they respond and join, want to join into a relationship with Christ, automatically we want to invite them into community. And we're living a life, I believe, that's surrendered to the Holy Spirit the way these people were. People will desire to join us. Remember that we were also at one point invited into the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Invited to live in community with the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit wants to use us to invite them, others, those people around us to be in community. Now I know this is a, this is a, tough, a tough transition for some of us. Because we're, I, I really believe we're doing a good job of, of being a light in the community of who Christ really is in the way that we do community with one another, in the way that we treat people outside. But there also needs to be a time when, in the midst of all of that, that we invite people into a relationship with Christ, that, we, that we're willing to, at, by the Holy Spirit's leadership only, but when the Holy Spirit prompts us to share the truth of the gospel, because they're going to be ready to receive it. We need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading and not just give people stuff or not just love people, not just bless people in, in, the, in the way of uh, giving things. But we need, to, you know, we need to pray for them. We need to listen to them. We need to eat with them. We need to serve them. But at some point, God will open a door for us to share the gospel. And it's beautiful. 
when that happens. But we need to invite them. That, that is inviting them to be in community with us. And then once they pray, receive Christ, obviously letting them cling to us, walk with us in community. So they did that, and we need to do that. We need to remember that we were invited in community and that they are also. We need to remember to invite them in. Now, the people knew that this man was affected uh, by the Holy Spirit. They knew that a change had happened, and they were affected, as were those who uh, didn't even know this man. The, the ones that knew people who knew this man were affected by it. Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, and, the, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the, gate, at the beautiful gate of temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. There it is again, at what happened to him. Now, this is, this is what happened already. Now, it's happened three times in the church's short time doing life with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit did something through the believers in the, in the community that caused people to take notice and be filled with wonder and amazement. Church, please, listen. We don't have to work hard. We just need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And He will do the work that's going to cause people. And the response is uh, to, to look at us that way or to find Him in what we do, to be bewildered, to be filled with amazement and wonder. This response is the same thing that happened in, in, that, that we read earlier. Same thing that happened as a result of, of Peter's preaching and, the, and the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in the life of the disciples and them hearing the message in their own languages. The people were filled with wonder and amazement. I believe the world's seen enough of what man can do. I believe, as a matter of fact, I, I'll just be honest, that, you know, in our connections with people that are lost in this town, For whatever reason, I think it's more the influx of, of um, Eastern religions that are very, very focused on benevolence and good behavior that I find people that are lost being better people than people who are in the church, I find, including myself. But definitely people who are works-based and judgmental. You know, there are good people all around us. The world has seen enough of what man can do. And now what, man, what a saved man does and what a lost man does in their behavior is not really that different. But they need to experience what it would be like. They need to experience us as we live our lives surrendered to the Holy Spirit in community with one another, commitment to each other, all the things that we've been talking about. As we live, in the, live this community out, with one another. The world around us needs to experience that. And that's going to bring the blessing of salvation and an invitation uh, to, the, to the watching world to come be a part of this community. That's going to bring salvation from their sins and the horrible consequences that sin is bringing right now in their life. It causes our hearts to ache for them. And then it also is going to bring the invitation for them to come join us in community. So, five things today. I'm going to put them up on the board in a way that we can remember. Five things today to remember out of this story. These are things that we can apply in everyday life. It's not about almsgiving. It's about every person that we meet in the world that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. 
but it's out there and it's ready and God has put it uh, on our hearts to be in relationship with them, to have a relationship with them. Five things to remember. Number one, we're not to be in opposition to churches. We're to reveal truth through the sharing of the word and in the presentation of koinonia to those churches. Second, we need to realize the significance of following the Holy Spirit even if it means not following our religious routines. You can take pictures of these if you want. See some of you trying to write frantically. Number three, and I'll put this on the Facebook page too. We'll put these on. Number three, be united in our ceaseless prayer and careful attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings and, to, and be, uni- be united in looking at people in their eyes. What? Not the right one? Okay. Maybe, maybe I read the wrong one. Okay. Well, this one too. Okay. This is a good number three. That's actually number four for me. Follow the Spirit's leadership as a community and see how his leadership will be countercultural and even counter-religious. Let's just follow the Holy Spirit's leadership. All right, number four. We got another one? Okay. Man, I didn't put the other one up. All right, but this, it's, it's probably the most important one for us, so let me cover this one. When people experience the Holy Spirit through us, invite them into community. When when we are living a a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit, people will desire to join us. And remember that we were invited into the community of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is the one inviting them, but through us. All right, number four, the one that you missed. Here it is. Be united in our ceaseless prayer and careful attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings. That is called what? Huh? Thank you. It's abiding. It's nothing new. It's our A. It's our A of our ABCs. It's the thing that we don't do. It's the thing that was so hard for us to do. It's the thing that Satan keeps robbing us of. If if these two disciples had not been committed to abiding in the Holy Spirit, they would not have given this man any attention. Other than maybe a penance of some sort. You know, a few coins out of their pocket. But they gave him all their attention. And then in addition to that, the end of that also. So we follow the careful attention to the Holy Spirit's promptings and to look the world in their eyes. Let's don't be afraid. Listen, once you get used to walking in the Holy Spirit, and asking the Holy Spirit about, about these things, there's no problem looking into somebody's eyes. Especially when you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to look, and you know there's something there. There's, there's an experience, there's a moment, there's an encounter, an experience with God that's fixing to happen. And you want that, you desire that above all other things. It doesn't matter that you might be embarrassed or asked for something that you don't want to give or ask for something that you don't have or there's some expectation that that person has. 
So apply that to every person around you. Let's take, get it, again, get it off the beggar. Let's put it on the person that you work with. Let's put the same truth there. As you follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you're sensitive to the moment by moment uh, and you're in prayer and constant conversation with the Holy Spirit, when, when, you're, when a workmate gives, does something that irritates you, then you automatically go to God about it. You don't just re- react, you respond. And the response is, Father, how can I, you know what I'm feeling, what do I do with this? And God gives you a plan. And you walk in that. Or it's your kids, it's your spouse, whatever. That we're constantly asking the Holy Spirit to live his life through us. That's what's making this new community blow up. It's not that they're good people. It's that they got a good God that lives inside of them. And they're just, they're just walking with him through life. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we don't want to be good people. We want you to manifest yourself through us. We want people to see that that people can't live in community the way that we're going to live in community because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Or if they do, they're not open or surrendered to him. And so I pray today, God, that you will make these truths, these realities that we pulled out of Scripture today with the Spirit's help, make these realities true for each of us as we walk our our lives out this week. Pray that we would be able to process these words and these truths as we walk in in relationships with uh, lost and wandering people in our community this week. Strengthen our commitment, Lord, to walk with you. Help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not to be drunk with life, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Help our lives to be so full of you that we don't have room for anything else. God, we want more and more and more of you. We want more awe, more activity, more relationship. Just let that cycle in our lives, God, as a church. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to invite people around us, through us, into community with us. In Jesus' name.